0: Okay. G'day, Gabby. How are you going?
1: Hey, Pato. Going very well. Thank you. How are you going?
0: Yeah, really good. Thanks for coming back on.
1: Oh, thank you for having me again. I, I It was a blast last time, so I'm definitely really excited to be back here.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, that was almost 12 months ago. Um, and, I mean, your athletes have been going from strength to strength. So, can you tell me a little bit about that last 12 months?
1: Oh, yes. I mean, I have... I, okay, I was not prepared for this question, but at least from memory, I think last time we spoke, uh, Phil Gore had the satellite champs, and he hadn't been to the uh, Masters, which actually happened last year, so definitely hasn't been there. So yeah, like uh, with Phil Gore a, a world record, which is amazing, and then also very excited to see that four of the athletes I work with, which including Phil, uh, went to the ma- the bigs world yeah. champs as well, with Rob placing extremely well as well. getting a 10 lap pv which was amazing and also i have a client in new zealand jeremy pelvin he won arrowtown backyard ultra just recently with 50 laps and that's a new new zealand record in new zealand soil Uh, obviously obviously sam harvey has a 101 laps but not in new zealand so that was also quite exciting (laughs) and I think that's really in, in like in, in a nutshell most of it, but definitely ha- I I've been very fortunate to, to be working with lots of wonderful people. And uh, I mean I just listed the big ones, but definitely a, a lot of people also getting uh, a few lap PBs as well at their backyards, which is quite exciting to see.
0: Yeah. Well, um having four runners at bigs, you mustn't have it mustn't have been easy getting any sleep during that time
1: no not at all but i i feel like probably you were doing the same because i'm sure yeah. we all were absolutely tracking every single thing and yeah. it's uh it's so good that the live stream was there and also the tracker because i feel like i mean at least for most of the lab the backyards i i'm just to keep track of it's always just refreshing facebook and everybody else's social media to see what's going on yeah. so in this case it was nice to see that but yeah definitely it was hard to um yeah to to go to bed without thinking about it and like the very first thing I will do was like checking my phone if I would wake up in the middle of the night I will be checking my phone again yes yeah, absolutely insane <laughs> yeah.
0: so um how different are your are the athletes individual needs like is there much difference between each runner or that do they have a, a big difference between their like race plan for example
1: yes definitely so uh, there are A a few key areas that make the biggest difference. One is the athlete. The biggest one is the athlete themselves. Uh, They have different tastes. And of course, that means that there are different types of food that they will be more inclined to consume. Most people prefer the savory over time because the sweetness gets quite sick. Even if you try for it not to be too too, too sweet, it's still quite, you get tired of it. But let's say that's savory, but then there's such a wide range of options that makes it very difficult. I wish I could just create a template that I can just send to everybody and everybody can just follow it. But unfortunately, that individual aspect is a big one. The next factor that comes to play is the pace as well. So for someone who is planning to have or is able to have a lot of time during the break, it may be easier for us to plan most of the nutrition during that time. Whereas for someone who is knowing that they're going to spend most time on the lap, then we focus on getting more nutrition during the lap as well, because then there's not a lot of time to toilet to- toilets breaks or like eating and then having a nap and things like that. And the next one, which is the sleep as well. When if the athlete is planning, planning to sleep, we of course need to change things so that way they don't have to spend time eating during the, that lap but not everybody is having the same strategy. So it depends on when they are planning on doing it. I suppose that if you were to look, if you look at the plants, they all look extremely different Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because I know the science behind it. I can say like, well, there are some similarities that say, first off, most people are predominantly consuming carbohydrates. Most of them are eating every single lap or at least the majority of the laps most of them do have something to consume during the lab as well. Uh, But then what makes it very different is what, what specifically they're having that changes everything.
0: Yeah. One thing I've noticed, Gabby, at a lot of Backyard Ultras that I'm at, and even at Biggs watching the live stream, I saw a lot of Coca-Cola being um, drunk. And I'm wondering, Mm. what is it about Coca-Cola that's so special because you don't really see much other soft drinks it's mainly coca-cola
1: yeah it's pretty much ticking all the boxes in terms of things that help uh the biggest one is carbohydrate it's full of sugar which funnily enough we all know that because we have the marketing outside telling us not to drink it but for an ultra runner is amazing because it's like exactly what is going to be very easy to be absorbed and it's giving rapid energy so that's the first one the second one is that it also has caffeine and caffeine has an, an effect on performance on supporting that alertness. It does benefit the athlete in having that caffeine as well. And the third one that is probably not the main one and actually least because um, the osmolality of the Coke is quite high, So, but still there, there's fluid. So there's still some fluid being consumed through that. I, of course, wouldn't place Coke as the source of hydration. I always count Coke as the source of nutrition. I still would 100% consider water and other fluids as hydration. The Coke, even though it contributes, is I wouldn't place it as a significant contribution.
0: Yeah, yeah. And as far as caffeine goes, I mean, we did touch on caffeine a little bit in our last chat, but I was wondering, because it can be taken in so many different forms, like you've got... Mm. Coffee, no dos. It comes in gels. You can get it in shakes. What's the What's a good way for someone to figure out what works best for them?
1: So, my personal preference is to consume it in things that is easier to have at once instead of continuously. And the reason for that is because if we're planning it properly, it's easier to to map it against of strategic areas in terms of. We time it. If the athlete doesn't want to sleep at all, well, we time it way before they start getting more fatigue and sleepiness. So that way that that caffeine kicks in. Uh, So that's why I do recommend using it more from the tablets like Nodos or from energy gels, even coke, because normally the person would drink it at once instead of compared to a sports drink that you are continuously sipping throughout instead of having a big bout of it. Um, So I do prefer that in terms of what, as in general, in terms of what's best for the person, it it is, again, a matter of personal preference. I know, even though every time I hear about it, I'm amazed that they say they don't like coffee, Uh, but I know a few people who don't like coffee or don't tolerate it. So for them, even though for other athletes I see, it sounds quite appealing and something to look forward to that in the morning they get to have a nice, cup of co- coffee during the, the race for others it's like oh no thank you so that's when we use more the nodos or other sources for someone who tolerates or is happy with anything then that gives us more flexibility because it, it makes it also something nicer to have so you have your cup of coffee in the morning then at noon you have a nice can of coke that is quite cool and then mid afternoon you have a caffeinated energy gel, and then in the evening you have a nodos tablet. If you are planning on con- or like spreading that caffeine consumption throughout mm-hmm. the event, so it it makes it a little bit nicer to have something like oh, two hours till I have, until I have my coke, or so at least something else to look forward to, and to add that variety. But otherwise, I mean it it is. It depends on the person. I've, I've seen people who were, they are very happy with just having nodos because it's very easy to know exactly how much they are getting from it, and it's just we were just putting on the plan notos at the sign nodos, and it's very easy just to keep track of. Um, so yeah, those are options there.
0: Yeah, so I'm pretty sure Coke's on the lower end of the um, caffeine scale as far as how much caffeine it's got in. Do you know how much many milligrams is in like a can of Coke?
1: Yes, around 55 milligrams of oh. uh, caffeine in a can of coke. The thing with coke and also um, coffee is that it actually varies. The, like that would say is the average, but for example, especially with coffee, depending on how it's prepared, the caffeine can range quite uh, like quite wide. So it could be very low as low as 20 milligrams. Too very high as almost 200 milligrams if that's a like really strong espresso or something like that. So that's why some people do prefer other sources of it, whereas we know that it's exactly in this notice, you're getting 100 milligrams, and that's it. So there's no risk of overdoing it or anything like that. Um, but I find that if we stick to, okay, roughly, this is like how much in general this coffee or this Coke will have, it's still okay to have it and like if we if we consider that if we know that uh, the caffeine amount is not going to be as high as opposed to something else
0: yeah yeah sure um so ultra runners obviously they they run pretty much every day and they'll often run up to 200 kilometers a week Mm. so how important is for is it for ultra runners who are running that kind of mileage every week um getting enough calories um to maintain that kind of workload
1: oh it's huge it's it's critical so it is that the, the priority will be calories as in the energy that they their body is utilizing and from there also the nutrients because of course um, one could think it's like, oh, it's easy to be relaxed about it. As long as I'm just eating, that's fine. But the quality of that nutrition will also impact. Um, there is a big concern, especially because it's not deliberate in terms of restricting calorie intake. Not for everybody. Some people would be, let's say, let's say, have weight concerns, and that's why they are very mindful of how much they are eating. But I've seen more and more that in most cases is actually they are not aware that they need so much more. Mm. And the fact that exercise is suppressing that appetite makes it even harder to notice that they need that much food. So in terms of things that can happen, the like the risk of getting sick increases because the body is at quite high amount of stress if the the core functions are not being fulfilled because the energy that our body is needing for day-to-day tasks, that is, I'm not talking about work, I'm talking about breathing and living, is quite significant. And then if on top of that we demand extra energy from our body because we're going on these very long runs, the amount that is available for these activities is quite restricted, so it makes it very difficult for the body to cope. So that's when injury can come, that's when illness can come, that's when the overtraining or people getting quite... Uh, fed up with training as well, or the crump- grumpiness. I'm saying things that can be attached to nutrition. I'm not saying that anybody experiencing this means that they are under fueling, but that is an area that I would 100% will be looking at if someone is getting frequently injured and experiencing these uh, signs and symptoms.
0: Yeah. Um. So yeah, because these runners they're burning so many calories. I mean, it's not uncommon to hear. People say that it's okay for high mileage runners to live off a high calorie diet of things like pizza, pasta with Lego stir through, donuts, Tim Tams, and things like that. Um is that
1: true? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it depends. Um I think there is it, it it definitely is beneficial to use these foods because they are really high in energy. If I were to ask someone to please consume the equivalent amount of calories that they can get from team Tams in broccoli, they will be so sick of that broccoli and they wouldn't be able to fit it in versus it's very easy to get the team Tams. What I do recommend uh, trying is that they st- to still get those vegetables, those fruits in, but not prioritizing them as the main fo- source of energy because that's when the underfueling can come. When we are eating this food predominantly, it's, re- it's very easy to get full but at the same time, is is one thing is being full and the other one satisfied and getting enough energy. So it's finding this balance because we can see both extremes. We can see the person who is so concerned of being as healthy as possible and they are just eating these uh, very nutritious foods, but they are not apporting enough energy. Or we can see the other one who is like, oh, it's okay, I just need a lot of calories and just eating the pizza and the Tim Tams and everything else, but not focusing on the nutrients themselves and that's when very likely some micronutrients may be lacking in that diet
0: yeah yeah sometimes I hear about foods that reduce inflammation and turmeric is probably like is what common one that you hear um Mm. so does some foods really do this and would those types of foods help in a backyard ultra to reduce inflammation while you're running
1: so, yes, there are anti-inflammatory foods. Uh a lot of vegetables would be omega-3, as like fish will be very helpful in anti-inflammatory uh, properties. However, consuming consuming them per se during the bacteria ultra won't be as significant in terms of helping. What I do recommend including it is post- race when that's when there's a significant amount of inflammation going on and we can assist the body in reducing it. Um, if we're doing it from food, there's no risk of it being detrimental as well because the reason our body is having this inflammation is actually beneficial in terms of repairing itself. And if we're stopping it every single time it's going to happen, it's not going to be as helpful. However, if we're doing it through our normal diet, that is okay because we're almost giving the tools without just getting in the way of it. So that's why it definitely will help to have something like that, especially in events like this where it's, we know that it's going to be way more than normal in terms of what the body is coping with during this huge um, activity.
0: Yeah. I'm not too sure how how much of it's got to do with nutrition but taking painkillers like Panadol is something that runners will sometimes take during a backyard ultra. So mm. do you want to know if one of your athletes is planning on taking Panadol during a race and will it affect their nutrition plan?
1: So Panadol, not so much. It's something that mm, I still recommend going with the doctor and checking that 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 that's OK for them. Yeah. Panadol is not a huge concern, something that is a big concern and something that If they disclose that to me, I definitely discourage the consumption. Is anti inflammatories anything non steroidal anti inflammatories? Is something that is quite dangerous to consume during these events. Uh, I don't know if I mean I'm sure you are aware of. Usually they are quite discouraged. Even for race organizers, they are getting quite strong at discouraging them because the risk of uh, developing rhabdomyolysis from that is quite high. So the body is already coping with all these uh, stress that is undergoing and then adding something like an external agent like that, that requires significant um, e- energy or let's say activity from the liver is quite, is too much and the body will react to it. So that's why it's not that it interferes nutritionally. It's just that it interferes in general with the performance and the health of the athlete. So that's something that, uh it's quite discouraged a lot of people still do it and they are they have done it without having any issues and that's why they're like well nothing happened last time i might as well it's, it's fine uh but yes as a health professional is something they're like please yeah leave it out because it's definitely the risk is there
0: right and, and you said the risk is um rad is, is that bow?
1: yes yes
0: right okay um and you said the Panadol is you're not so concerned about, but anti-inflammatories is a, are a no-no. Um, what what's an example? Because I'm not really too sure what the difference is. Well, what's an example of an anti-inflammatory?
1: So ibuprofen will be one of the main ones, yeah. and there are other that are a bit stronger. I honestly don't know what more <laughs> much more in terms yeah. of other examples, but ibuprofen will be the the one that sounds harmful, but it definitely, uh, yeah, it's there.
0: Right, okay. But as far as Panadol goes, if someone's planning on taking just like one tablet at around the 30-hour mark, there's nothing they need to worry about nutritionally um, before they take the Panadol, really?
1: No, not really, no. There are other medications that is definitely, and I can't listen because it depends same on the person, that it is important to be aware of because they can have some food interactions or they can Have effects on the athlete that decrease their appetite or can make them more nauseous or but these are prescribed medications that the athlete needs to take independent order of their performance it's more about uh yeah their health in general or any condition they may be uh dealing with and that's why it's important and that's something i always ask is are you taking any medication uh but yeah in terms of uh pain management panadol is 100 percent not a concern of course, and this is more health general. As long as they are not thinking of it as uh, would someone do like salt sticks. It's like, oh, every hour I'm going to have my panel, and like definitely not something I will be recommending doing either. Uh, though, of course, even with anti inflammatories, it comes to a point where the athlete needs to decide if whatever they are dealing with is worth taking the risk of like, I'm this is quite painful. I, I want to keep going. I'm going to take the anti inflammatory, or uh, if they are yeah they decide to stop or whatever they decide to do. So it's not like it's forbidden. At the end is at the end of the day, it's a personal choice, uh, but it's important that people are aware of it.
0: Yeah, sure. Um, with, with so much marketing behind sports drinks, gels and powders and things like that, I think it's easy to go into a backyard ultra with those types of products at the forefront of your nutrition arsenal but Mm. where where do you think that they should really sit within a plan
1: so as an element of it but not as the core of it which is what a lot of people do I think at least this is this is my observation at least this is this is what I've been assuming happens Uh, because a lot of people most people have the experience first with point-to-point races but before they come to a backyard and normally in those events using a particular sports drink powder as the the core of the nutrition for some of them goes very well so they assume that they can do the same strategy in the case of a backyard ultra which is uh there's a very like tailwind is one of the most popular brands in in terms of doing that because it, it and that's the way they market themselves is we have all the carbohydrate you need all the sodium you need you have the hydration as well and it sounds amazing. Is like, well? I can just have this thing and don't worry about my nutrition at all.
0: Yeah.
1: However, it's very easy to get sick of the sweetness. Even though Tailwind, compared to a Gatorade or something more commercial, is not as sweet. Uh, but if you are having that hour over hour, it's just too much. Having said that, we use Tailwind. We use uh, Morton and other brands as part of the program in the in the for the athlete in a backyard ultra but we just use it as part of it. This is something that can help with calories, not the only thing that is helping it with. And then most people are like, I'm just having tailwind. And then if I feel like having a sandwich on top of that, I will do it. Or if I have a bar or something like that, versus here is like, okay, this is helping with um, 20 grams per hour or even less of carbohydrate. And then on top of that, we ha- now we program the sandwich or the fruit or later an energy gel so it's part of the repertoire let's say yeah. and 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 the reason for that is pr- pretty much the, sweet, the 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 sweetness and that is very easy to have that flavor fatigue um and especially in these cases where it is so repetitive that is it's it's best to have some more variety as well
0: yeah definitely so um i've got a friend who ran his first backyard ultra a few months ago and it was in warm weather and um Mm. he went for something like the first 10 hours of the race without even me without going to the toilet without needing to go to the toilet so before backyard ultra starts what are some pointers to make sure that a runner is properly hydrated
1: Mm. so something I often recommend is looking at your hydration in the week of the event at least three two to three days before the race and the easiest indicator is going to be, uh, well actually it's two, one is your thirst and the other one is your pee. So uh, it's using both as a reference. And if you are thirsty, drink. If your pee is darker, drink. And it's drinking to the point of your pee being not necessarily looking like water, but definitely very clear color. And, of course, keep continue to, to drink if you continue to be thirsty. So the idea is that we would like to at least, let's say, two days beforehand, already be looking at that cleared pee and maintaining it by the time we get to the race. That's probably the easiest way of making sure you are hydrated. It is not as simple as saying, oh, everybody has to drink three liters of water or whatever, because it's, again, another thing that is very personal. Um. But because it's personal, using your own body to guide you is the best way you can know if you are getting hydrated or not. The other thing that does help is adding electrolytes. So the electrolyte helps with two things. One is retaining the fluid because that's supporting with your hydration, and the other one is that it makes it easier to drink more because it it makes it more palatable. If you add, I'm sure that if I give you a bottle with plain water and I give you another one with an electrolyte tablet in it in right now, you'll be way more inclined to finish that bottle. If it has the electrolytes as if it has plain water.
0: Mm. Yeah, sure. The other thing I've noticed as well is that the longer a backyard ultra goes, it seems to be the case that with most people, um, the more sudden and urgently the need to pee comes. So like out of nowhere um mm. you just need to go so is that something normal or a sign that something that could be wrong
1: so it is hard for me to say this with certainty but something mm. and, and a lot of these answers come back to the body's going through a lot of stress and the everything is essentially a shock to the system and we need to understand that our body is trying to cope and keep going with our normal body functions that need to happen in the background while we're trying to push really hard of maintaining everything else running so to me it's more a sign of that we are going through so much that the body is struggling to perform those functions as adequately or as uh normal as as usual so i wouldn't use that as a as a, an only sign but I do consider that as part of a whole spectrum of things that we need to look at. So let's let's go with that. The athlete is peeing extremely frequently. The next thing to look at is, okay, how much fluid are they drinking? Well, actually, they've been drinking one liter and a half per hour. All right, interesting. Are they adding electrolytes? No, they are not. Mm, let's see if maybe reducing the fluid intake and adding electrolytes changes that frequency. And the other thing to look at even before that is what does frequent mean? Because for everybody it can be different. So especially for people who are more experienced, they will be aware that maybe they start every two laps they are peeing and then every lap and then twice in a lap and then that's, that, that's it, twice per lap. But then for some people, if that okay, this is happening three, four, five times per lap, yeah, in that case of that person, yes, that's a lot. For some other could be like actually even during the day i'm going to the toilet every single hour Mm -hmm. so um then it's it's different so it's it's looking at okay this is a point of information that it's important to yes pay attention to but let's look at everything else and not just use that as the only reference for uh, making that adjustment and that's when i think one the notes are super important because it makes makes it easier for people to be aware of, okay, during this backyard, this is how frequent I was being, so next one, we can pay attention to those trends and the communication with the crew and how experienced the crew is in dealing with this athlete as well. I know that not everybody has that lux- luxury of like having someone on site the whole time yeah. and every single jack backyard, the same person, uh, but if it's possible to have that information, it will make it easier to to make those adjustments
0: yeah yeah very good um so as as you know I posted on Instagram a call out to see if anyone had any questions and I got quite a few questions so Mm. um (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll start with the first one and it what is the absolute worst food to eat during a backyard ultra
1: Oh, the the food you are intolerant to. That's absolutely the worst. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's and I know it sounds like a joke, but that's something to be aware of. Uh and and also I would say that's the absolute food worst food in general. Uh, there's a lot of things of uh, in terms of like in day-to-day life that people will think is like, oh, that's so bad for you. But if it's actually something that is going to cause this, cause any sickness for you, then definitely. Um, so yes, being aware of that sometimes you are not even aware of it during your day-to-day. It's like, oh, let's say you eat beans. It's like, oh, I'm a bit gassy and that's it. Versus in a backyard when every single system is under quite pressure and now you have beans and now it's a disaster. So something to be aware of and be very perceptive of, that's one. And speaking in general, anything that is really, really, really high in fat won't be as helpful. Now, having said that, some people will be like, oh, I have eggs and bacon as breakfast in my backyard, and that's fine, even though it's quite high fat. But saying I'm having a strip of bacon every single lap, that's a very different story. So there's no problem in in introducing some of those high-fat foods from time to time, but being very careful in that not the majority of your food is quite high fat because that can also cause issues.
0: Yeah. Uh, First one, have you ever had a a client who wasn't aware they had like an, a food intolerance, but in working with you, they kind of figured out that they actually did?
1: Yes. So it is it is not uncommon to have, especially like they are aware, in most cases they are aware that something is not quite right. Uh, one of the things is that when, when someone starts working with me, one of the questions is, how frequently do you go to the toilet? And with that, we can start noticing some things in terms of if the person, in general and this is not please anyone listening don't freak out if this is you uh but anyone who's going to the toilet three or more times per day as i like with bowel movements mm. that is a sign that potentially something is not let's say working as well and from there is exploring it's like oh actually yeah i get quite uh or oh, uh, like sorry bloated after eating um uh, or i get gassy or uh like i Things, some symptoms there. So that's when we start exploring. And there are particular foods that are triggering that. Uh, in most, well, in some cases, there are foods associated uh, with particular carbohydrates that no, are not absorbed as easily in the system. And they are responding not well to that. So that's when we, it's a whole lengthy process in going through that and understanding which is, are the ones that are triggering these symptoms. But once we, we, it's by elimination, essentially. So we get rid of all these ones, which are the the usual suspects. And then we start introducing one at a time and monitoring symptoms. And from there, uh, we get to a narrow list of, oh, it looks like it's apples, garlic, and onion. What is causing issues for you? So we make sure that during the race, there's nothing that has those foods there because we don't want that to be a problem.
0: Yeah, sure um next question is should someone who is doing a backyard ultra that is not an elite runner be dieting four to ten weeks out to be lighter in kilograms
1: oh absolutely no one even elite athletes i will 100% discourage this uh that's something that was quite persuaded in the past i i see that that was a trend or a recommendation a, a few years ago in terms of looking to get to your race weight. And the theory behind it, and that's why it was so popular because if I put it on a spreadsheet, it it looks like it will work. So the theory behind it is we get the person to drop some weight and because they are lighter, of course they need to carry less weight. They're going to be faster. That is a theory. It sounds beautiful and I can put it on a spreadsheet and there's even calculations, especially for cyclists, saying how much faster they are going to be uphill if they drop weight. What is not considered in the equation is the human itself. And the problem with that is that in order to for that body to drop weight, there needs to be a calorie restriction. And calories are energy. So restricting energy intake in the little to the race while they are having the peak of their training and the high volume is just disaster because what happens is that they just get to race day with injuries very frustrated because they didn't drop the weight. Frustrated because they went, they they didn't get faster, and also frustrated because the result just didn't come. So my advice is stick to eating well, as in making sure that your diet is sufficient, your diet is varied, that you are fueling adequately for each of your training sessions, and all of these steps in terms of putting together are very successful nutrition plan for your race and whatever weight you are by the moment you get to that race that is your ideal race weight because you did everything right and your body on its own is going to potentially change potentially not but because you are doing everything to support it properly it's going to be what's best for you so yeah. definitely yeah uh don't and and knowing that not even elite athletes do this um, at all anymore. This is something that is has been already disproven in terms of that actually helps.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, just from my personal experience, since I've been running, I've been eating a lot more food because I've been running. I'm probably heavier than I've, you know, heaviest I've ever been. And I'm, mm. um, so yeah. And I mean, I'm running more than I've ever run. so
1: yeah but would you agree that you also probably put muscle mass on
0: yeah that's probably true as well yeah that's yes
1: right. yeah definitely and i think i mean and you tell me Patrick. because obviously you you are heavier than than you've been but you are also getting better results than before and yeah. i would say that it speaks to how like obviously your yeah. body is getting stronger
0: yeah 100 and you feel better i mean when you're going out to run on an empty stomach it's um a lot Less comfortable than if you have been eating some food, I think.
1: Mm, yeah, definitely, and I think because you get used to it as well, mm. and uh, it is, yeah, it's something that I still see a lot of pressure outside from society in this expectation as well, uh, in terms of you need to look like an athlete in order to be in or- in order to be an athlete, but. I would dare anyone to just like literally sit and see people at the backyard ultra and see the diversity of bodies that you see there. And yeah. even towards the end, you still see them. Is yes, a lot of them, the, the people who are at the end are very lean, but it's not always the case. And that's something that is important to, to see and, and, and understand.
0: Yeah, definitely. And like if you even look at the um like the top twelve at bigs, there was quite a quite a range of body types there Mm, yeah Mm.
1: yeah definitely
0: Mm. um next question is when doing a plan for your athletes do you work on carbs per hour or calories per per hour
1: I look at both but always prioritize carbohydrate because at the end carbohydrate is going to be the the main source of energy so it's best to look at okay let's make sure that there are sufficient carbohydrates coming in. And then from there, it's just a squaring and making sure that the calories are still sufficient. But yes, always looking at carbohydrates first. And usually we're talking about a range of 30 to 90 grams of carbohydrate per hour. In terms of calories, the recommendation is to stick between 150 to 400 calories per hour.
0: Yeah. Um, I guess one of the um, good things about, the um gels and things like that is they that they, they give the specific amount of grams of carbs and calories as well whereas it's a bit harder if you're making sandwiches and stuff like that like how would someone mm. who's making a sandwich figure out how much um carbs are in that
1: yeah it definitely is harder because of course definitely packaged food is always going to tell us um one option is to well and this is probably the easiest one is literally uh calories in bread and just like the ingredients and then be like okay or grams of carbs and usually i love that google now if you google it like that it actually shows you the nutrition information table and then from there it's like okay put up your uh your spreadsheet as well so we start like calculating it like that and at least that's a reference uh and yeah, probably that will be the the best way to be at it. That's what that's one of the main reasons I discourage uh, calorie tracking in general. Not for a backyard ultra, you you need to do it in, in when you're putting your plan together. Yeah. But someone who starts calorie tracking start leaning towards packaged foods way more often because it has the label and it's easier to keep track of them. So that's why, of course, in the case of a backyard or any nutrition plan, it makes it more challenging. Uh, but a lot of products actually, let's say if it's bread, they do have still a label behind it, uh, like the package. Of course, probably the hardest thing will be fruit uh, or other things that are, uh, yeah, not necessarily packaged. And other, like, let's say if we're talking about a sandwich, uh, it can be that the, the the ham says, oh, X many grams have X many grams of protein or whatever. But then it's like, okay, hang on, but I have a slices. Like how am I supposed to know what I'm putting here? So I would suggest trying not to obsess too much, maybe just choosing the foods that you are regularly going through and using those ones that are like clearly calculating them. And then from there, you have a reference is if you are sticking to roughly that it's very hard to overdo it. Certainly it's most people, if we stick to that normal portion that you are comfortable consuming, it's quite easy to stay consistent broadly in terms of your energy intake. Um, Definitely. I mean, like the people who work with me, of course, get the benefit that one, I get to calculate it for them or for that uh, other program I have. They also get access to a calculator where I have the list of everything there. So they they just have to put it in a spreadsheet and that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, very good. Um, Next question is, if I have loose stools early in a race and spending five minutes a lap on the toilet, what's the way to respond?
1: Ooh, that's an interesting one. So it could be helpful to so to swap more to liquid calories in that case and see hopefully that like changes a little bit the the pattern uh just momentarily and once again recording what happened so the way next time you avoid whatever triggered this so it could be that either was a lot of fat or a lot of fiber that was triggering this or that intolerance or, or like that food that was not sitting well with you so um Yes, perhaps swapping to the liquid calories is helpful and just to try and control it a little bit.
0: Yeah, yeah, because it could be that this person has an intolerance to someone that only shows up when their body's working hard in a race. Is is that right?
1: Yes, yes, exactly. Or, yeah. like, it, it gets worse or even uh, because if we are, maybe they are using it as, let's assume it's intolerance to milk, for example. and. Uh, when they are using it day to day, they just have a dash of milk in their coffee. But then in the backyard, they decided that a glass of milk. And by the way, I know that is very unlikely. People are drinking milk in a backyard, but anyway, that yes. was just like a, a, like the most obvious example I could think of in terms of how even the, the quantity could be the issue more than necessarily the thing uh, mm. itself. So yes, it's looking at that. I'm not saying that because anyone who has a uh, more loses tools is it's having an intolerance. It's something else to like, it's just something else to explore. Yeah. If they are like, well, this was extremely low fiber, extremely low fat. It's what most people have in terms of food. What's going on? It's like, okay, let's see what else could be for you that is causing these issues.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Very good. um Okay. So how to fuel for women during their cycle? especially if race day is that time of the month?
1: Mm. So for some female athletes, if not for many, there are definitely uh, gastrointestinal issues that arise or happen alongside the cycle. So in terms of how to, it's mostly sticking to, well, It Once again, it sounds very general and I'm very sorry that it's like everybody should take notes because it's so helpful, Uh, but definitely being aware of what are the foods that for you are triggering some issues, even during your normal day to day. Some people are very well aware that yes, they do get more symptoms in general when they are going through their cycle. So it's just making sure to be even more careful in terms of what they are consuming in general, something that can help is looking at foods that are low in FODMAPs. So those are the carbohydrates I was talking about. Unfortunately, there are so many foods that have them that I can't give you as a concrete list right now in terms of like these are the foods to look at. Uh, but something to, I would suggest, exploring. And it could be that in general, if if they don't have the time to go through the whole elimination thing for the event focusing on those foods, uh, of like not adding them or f- most of the foods that they have being low FODMAP can be quite helpful. And fructose is something that can, um, for a lot of female athletes, can be an issue. So just looking at the products that they are consuming and, if possible, eliminating fructose or reducing its consumption during that race can be quite helpful.
0: Right. Now, I'm pretty sure that in in most supermarkets they've got a little um, FODMAP section
1: is that right i'm not sure if in most of them but they do have i, I know that bulwars at least has it or at least there are uh low monash fodmap certified foods uh, that's a way to look at it but definitely not the only one because it doesn't mean that those are the only foods available there are many other products that are essentially by nature low in fodmaps but of course they don't have the stamp. Because that's the way they are versus another one that usually is high foot map, but they are, it's been uh, carefully crafted in a way that is low foot map now. So, yeah, I think perhaps starting with, let's say, that alternative if you use muesli during your events then look for the low map muesli instead or look for the low map bar but then don't disregard the other foods that are still natural so is that when it's looking at what other options are there and definitely and this is something and it's not me saying come to see me like you can go see any other dietitian as well but if you are suspecting these issues it is worth speaking with someone because the risk of doing it wrong is quite high and what that can mean is that instead of eliminating food maps you are just eliminating food and of course energy and with that instead of maybe you don't have the issues but then you go for way less laps because you didn't have the energy to keep going either
0: yeah yeah um and the next question what are some of the best ready to eat foods you can pick up from a supermarket
1: huh that depends if it's for day-to-day or for a backyard so
0: backyard.
1: <laughs> if it's for a backyard i'll say oh i do like uh dehydrated fruit is a good one if it's for a backyard that's ready to eat and it won't go off especially if we go through that the complexities of the not having access to a fridge and things like that uh the other one other ones that can be helpful are like bars in general, like muesli bars, cliff bars, something like that. It's also good. I know this is not necessarily ready to eat, but instant noodles are good. Uh fruit pouches are also easy. And hmm. Lollies, I know we spoke about these ones last time. Uh, they are of course easy. And there are others, well, these are not from the supermarket, but dehydrated foods. And I think, I don't know if Phil mentioned it on the podcast last time, but they are definitely super helpful in uh, adding quite a substantial amount of calories and also more variety because they have a wide range of options like spaghetti bolognese and curry and things like that. Um, You only need to add hot water to them and they are ready. But i'm not sure if they sell them in the supermarket it's more about like it's more in outdoor stores and things like wow. that
0: i see yeah okay um the, what's the best way to get through a stage where you don't feel like eating any solid food
1: oh what what's the question what's the best way to what
0: uh, what's the best way to get through uh, a period of the race where you don't feel like eating any solid food
1: Ah, all right so it doesn't hurt and even though i already talked about the liquid calories not 100 being the best idea for the core of the nutrition it does help swapping to them at those times when it's hard to cope with solid food one thing that uh we didn't touch on and you you talk about the the, the race being hot usually be like prioritizing liquid calories in those ones it's probably easier because If it's really hot, it's very hard to actually eat solid food. So that's when it's like, okay, let's lean more on the liquid ones, can be helpful. Um, But it does depend in the case of this question in what is causing the issue for the person, if it's the solid or the sweetness, uh, the sweetness. If it's the sweetness, perhaps when swapping to liquid calories will make it worse because most liquid calories are going to be sweet. So in that case, it's exploring something like crackers or something a little bit more let's say plain can be a good option if it's a solid per se yes having some options there that are more in the liquid form can be helpful even um, more like a a shake as well so for example there are some powders they are usually advertised as uh, recovery shakes or even like uh, mass gainers. And the reason is that they have carbohydrate and protein. So something like that is beneficial because it's adding protein as well, that it's also helpful in situations like this, where as much as we prioritize carbohydrates, consuming protein is still something that is important because now we're going for days and not for a few hours.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, um, that reminds me actually, I, I ran at hysterical carnage two or three weeks ago and it was really warm during Mm. the day. It was pretty hot actually. And I lost my appetite for solid foods so early in the race. Mm. And when I finished each loop, my mouth would be, like my tongue would be all swollen and dry. It was dusty as well. And yeah, I I just, I had to switch to more um, liquid nutrition and also fruits like um, watermelon and mango as well to replace instead of what I was going to have instead.
1: Yeah, nice. And well done. I mean, like in in terms of responding quickly to it, because I feel like one mistake is is sticking to the plan, even though clearly it's not working. So, yes, I think definitely in those cases, and as you already point out, fruit is also helpful because it's adding uh, hydration somehow and it's easier to consume it. And the other one is that... uh, I know a lot of people are not super happy about carrying things with them because the idea that you have to stop at the end of the lap is quite appealing in terms of I don't need to be running with a vest or anything like that, but it, it, I will 100% encourage it. If you can run with water on you, it's going to be really helpful because waiting till the end of the lap to drink is not going to be enough in circumstances like this.
0: Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's something I've added to my uh, plan of I carry a handheld um, with me every loop now um, mm. it makes a massive difference a real big difference
1: yeah it does
0: <laughs> um next question is advice on sweat testing and how to avoid cramping
1: mm. so in terms of sweat testing if uh you are in wa uh, message me and we can organize something if you are anywhere else uh, i would suggest googling there are some uh uh, we can also work on that if you are somewhere else in Australia. Uh, there are some kits that you can get by post, and it has instructions so you can do them, do the test on yourself. I do recommend if you find someone who can do the test with you so that they can apply the patches correctly and everything. That is way better than doing it yourself because the risk of contaminating the patch if you are not trained or like handling it properly it increases. So that's something, yes, that I would definitely recommend doing. It is worth knowing how much sodium you're losing in your sweat, especially if you're someone who cramps frequently. So cramps, are, are there's a wide range of things that can be causing them, but one of them and is that sodium losses can be quite significant, and that could be the reason why you're cramping. Not the only one but it could be a contributing factor. So being aware of how salty your sweat is can be helpful in dealing with them because now that you are aware of that, now we have information that we can use to tailor the sodium for um, for that uh, during that plan. I recommend doing that route before instead of, oh, I'm cramping, I'm just going to up my sodium intake because it's not always the case. And it can make things... Not necessarily for cramps worse, but in general, just adding sodium for the sake of adding it is not a a good strategy. It's more like once you're aware of, okay, yes, my sodium losses are significant. Let's up that. In some cases, it's not necessarily that the sodium loss is significant. It's that the sweat loss is quite large. So in those cases, it's really being very mindful about the fluid intake and adding electrolytes to it because the more you sweat, the more sodium is coming out because... The sweat is carrying sodium with it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, and that reminds me, um, it sounds like sweat testing is a good idea. What about blood tests? Do you recommend your clients get a blood test just to make sure everything's in balance?
1: Yes, I do recommend having a general checkup at least once a year. And something to look for is especially for female athletes or vegetarian athletes, uh, iron is something that it's, there's a risk of it being quite low, so it's something to look at for sure. And if 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 you're ticking all three boxes in terms of ultra athlete, female athlete, and vegetarian athlete, book that soon because it's going to be quite important to to make sure that um yeah that the, the iron levels are right where they need to. And if they are not, well, definitely doing something about. Changing it. Uh, that's one. Vitamin D, surprisingly, which is like most people are spending time outdoors, but for some people can be quite low as well. So that's another one to check. Uh, but yes, overall, a general checkup, uh, I think is worth it. Speaking with the GP and seeing what they recommend as well will be helpful. Uh, but not necessarily going into deep level if you, if you are not, uh, if, unless you are suspecting of something.
0: Yeah. I actually went and got myself a blood test after the masters cuz I I did 20 and I was a bit disappointed. I wanted to just see if there was anything the matter and I got a blood test done and they did find I was slightly deficient in B12. Mm. So, so I've been taking B12 tablets since then. Um I don't know if it's but I mean I don't know if it, it's actually made much of a difference but I have run my PB since then so it might might have been worth it
1: mm, definitely could have contributed for sure and i would say if you can like six months after that blood test check again and see how it's going it's going to be helpful
0: yeah yeah good idea um next question is um is you've kind of answered this already but is real <laughs> food usually a better option than gels and powders for a back out ultra
1: I think it's part of the spectrum as well. I I, I would say it, in most of the people I work with, it definitely predominates uh, when we put that plan together. M- most of the labs there's real, le- they real food. Even though, I mean, like it's not magical. The other one, but like the food is there. Uh, however, we in most cases we still leave. For example, the sports drink is something that I do use. Um, In most labs, but in way smaller quantities than what most people will be doing. So, let's say it's forty percent. If we consider the sports drink, is forty percent uh product, sixty percent food in in these plants normally.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. The next question is: There merit to a low carb, high fat regime in a back in the backyard ultra context.
1: So the short answer is no, and even though, so one of the reasons that these diets become became popular among the ultra running uh, world is the idea that because you are fat adapted, because essentially, I'll backtrack. Our body uses two ways of energy. One is carbohydrates, and the other one is fat. And if you are, uh, if you are and that's the reason we need to consume carbohydrates during the race, because the body in uh, when we're going at higher intensity, even though a bacteria is still relatively low intensity, but still way higher than just walking, um, the the body prioritizes carbohydrate. So the philosophy behind this diet is being okay. If my body gets used to use more fat, it means I'll need less carbohydrate. And by needing less carbohydrate, it means that I won't need to eat, which means I won't have got upset. Unfortunately, the reason people get got upset is not the diet itself or the food itself what's causing the issues. Most of the time, the issue comes from the exercise itself. So exercise, because the body is going through all this stress, it there are a few avenues that can trigger this. One avenue is uh, the reduced blood flow into the gut that that can cause the gut to eventually shut down because there's no blood flow coming in so that's one problem or the other one can be a, a stress response which is i'm sure that a lot of people have experienced this if you are quite stressed your gut shuts down and it's hard to get food especially stress if we think of it of more like the fight or flight response, not not necessarily the stress of like, oh, I have this deadline, because some people would have the the tendency to eat more in those cases, but in more like a a fight or flight response, it's very hard to be, let's say someone is attacking my house, the last thing I'm going to think of is of like God, oh, let me grab a sandwich. <laughs> so um it it happens similar with like exercise sort of exacerbates. This. So in the case of a low fat, low carb diet, if the athlete now is not eating because they are fat adapted, what is happening is that they are reducing their blood flow to the gut even more. So the issue can get way worse. And it could be that they delay it for some reason, and it happens quite later in the race, but it definitely gets worse compared to actually eating. So if the intention for this diet is sort of related to the gut upset, I would 100% discourage it. There is, let's say, some benefit in the body being good at utilizing fat because that's an extra bonus. Now, if my body is efficient at using fat, that opens a lot of options in terms of energy that my body can use. And then if on top of that, I'm providing the premium fuel, which is a carbohydrate, that's even better. Um, However, something that we're seeing is that for most ultra-runners, especially those experienced ones, there are... Extremely well-fat adapted because their body is using a lot of fat when they are doing the races. Even if they've never done a fasted training session in their life, they are they are still very well-fat adapted because the body needs to use this, use this fuel. Um, yeah. I know I talk about 150 to 400 calories per hour of consumption. That is, for most people, less than half of what they are using, actually while they are performing so what does that mean that there's a significant amount of fat that is being utilized during these events anyway
0: right yep okay cool um the next question is um just to be clear is juice or electrolytes better to drink during a backyard ultra than water
1: Mm. not necessarily so I never see the electrolytes or the juice or any other drink, tailwind or whatever you want to drink, as the source of hydration or as the only source of hydration. I always recommend drinking water on top of that. So it's, again, a matter of balancing it out. There are instances, let's say a very cold event, where it's likely for the majority of the labs that it will have sufficient with drinking 250 milliliters of that sports drink per hour and that's going to be enough in terms of hydration as well Uh, but there are instances as you probably experienced this at hysterical where those 250 mils were the first 10 minutes of your lap and then you need way more than that Mm. and relying on if let's say it's going to be the sports drink to provide most of that fluid then that's when potentially now they are consuming way more carbohydrate and they can handle and that can be an issue as well so i would say just always keep water as another option for hydration as like alongside whatever else you are consuming
0: okay yep um any suggestions for nausea prevention it hits me around 12 to 13 loops in
1: hmm so nausea no nausea is something that is quite linked to hydration as well so that is something to be aware of in terms of preventing nausea staying very well hydrated is going to be super helpful i'm not saying it's the only thing but it, it can be one of the main issues there and the other one is uh the type of food that you're consuming as well which is like definitely trying to get a little bit more like savory fooding and and a little bit more variety can help and yeah, like I would say probably hydration will be the first one to look at. and I'm glad they are asking about prevention because that's the best way to solve it is preventing it once it gets in it's quite difficult to get rid of it, which is why it's so important to try and and avoid getting to that nasty
0: state. Yeah, sure um <clears throat> so we've got a um backyard Ultra in Melbourne in in the start of Feb, this person would be running it because they're asking what advice do you recommend for Backyard Ultras starting at 7pm? Um, and should should they be eating less at night on that first night because it starts at 7pm?
1: Not necessarily. So I think that the 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 start time always makes it a bit challenging because we most of us are used to in general races start in the morning, so it's very easy to wake up, eat your breakfast, go to your race. Uh, and when these races are like that, it definitely makes it challenging. So I'm going to stick to nutrition, even though there are obviously well not obviously there are other areas to look at in terms of whether you want to have a nap beforehand and things like that. Up. Uh, but in terms of nutrition. I do suggest looking at first the whole day as continuing the high carbohydrate consumption because it's, well, assuming we've been doing everything right in the lead up to the event, it's helpful to consume more carbohydrate, to have that carbohydrate loading. So during that day, I will be focusing on uh, the breakfast being high in carbohydrate, not necessarily over only eating sugar, but higher carbohydrate, having a decent lunch. And then here's where it gets a little bit more challenging So you have a decent lunch and then either having an early dinner or a very decent snack in the afternoon that is almost like that will be your pre-raised meal. Some people are really comfortable if their pre-raised meal, let's say, is porridge, uh, to have that at 5 p.m. instead of 5 a.m. That's perfect. Uh, If that's not you and you're like, it feels extremely weird, I'm having porridge at 5 p.m., then it's looking at other options that are equivalent in terms of carbohydrate, but more evening like food, so it's just, okay, let's have some rice and let's have some rice and a little bit of veggies and more like you feel more like normal, but that's still high in carbs. And then in terms of the plan itself for the event, I don't think it's necessary to look at reducing the food unless that's a thing that they like doing in terms of I prefer my first 12 hours to be 30 grams per hour and then I increase because that whats worked well for me. Then go ahead and do it like that. But if you are someone who is more about, like, no, I just, I'm happy, just keep my nutrition consistent, then I will leave it the same in terms of uh, from the get go. It does happen that for a lot of people at night, they struggle to eat more. So, yes, in that case, it's looking at how can I balance my food intake in a way that uh, I'm not struggling to eat. So, maybe. In, the, in some cases, it does help to front load it a little bit, and then in the middle, those those very like early morning, late night labs, focusing a little bit more like an, smaller snacks, and then boosting it up again, or having a bigger meal in between can work. And of course, then looking also if they are planning to sleep or not in that very first night. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's quite interesting. I think it's the first time I hear about. Why are starting so late?
0: <laughs> yeah, because I think they start it late because it's the middle of summer and mm. um, I'm actually running in it. So I've been thinking a little bit about it as well. And um, I was thinking that because it's likely to be pretty hot um, mm. the next day, I'm gonna try and go with solid foods at night. And then because I'm expecting it will be hard to continue with solid foods during the day when it gets hot. That's when I'll stick, um, plan more liquid nutrition. But, yeah, try and get as much solid food in uh, as I comfortably can in that first night.
1: Mm, I think that sounds quite wise. Obviously not. I, I know I said front-loaded, but definitely there's no way of, like, actually having, let's say, double calories and then <laughs> having half of it later. Uh, yeah. But, yes, I think definitely swapping in terms of, yes, more solid when it's cooler. It. Probably will make it easier, especially if you're aware that at night it doesn't influence so much in terms of your ability to eat, because that that will be the only other thing to look at that makes it complex.
0: Yeah, uh, sure. Yeah, very good. Yeah, I'm looking forward. It's going to be really fun.
1: Hmm. Sounds like is it a silver ticket event as well?
0: No, it's it's not even a bronze this year. It's just a just a backyard ultra that are be doing? Mm. The, I am going to be doing Miramwernit, which is a silver.
1: Ah, I'm confusing with with that one. Yeah, yeah, cool. Nice. Yeah,
0: yeah, that would be a good one. Um, So that's all the questions they've sent in. So I guess um, how do people reach out to you and how do people find you? Are you taking on new clients at the moment, that kind of thing?
1: Yes. So uh, the best way to find me is through either Instagram or my email, and that is at IntenseItFit. That's my Instagram, and my email address is Gabby at IntenseEatfit. Uh, so yes please feel free to reach out in terms of taking new clients uh yes I am I do in terms of my one-on-one clients I'm pretty much at capacity there however and that's why this year I work really hard on having a new program uh, that 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 has a space for more people and so far has received extremely positive feedback and uh, yeah. So if you are interested, please message me, and I we you still get to work directly with me essentially, but it's it's a, a structure in a different way. So that's why it allows for more people to to join as
0: well. Yeah, awesome. Sounds good. Um, yeah, well, look. Um, thanks, Heath for coming on again. Oh. Gab- it's, no, um, thanks
1: for having me again. I'm glad that we were able to like we covered a lot today. It's amazing. I love it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it, I got heaps of um, positive feedback after the one we did um, last time as well, and a lot of um, a, so much, so much knowledge and so much great information.
1: Oh, I'm glad to hear it's helpful. And yes, I love talking about this. So uh, yeah. it's been it's been wonderful two years in terms of like getting more and more people in the backyard ultra world so that's quite incredible and definitely I I continue to be mesmerized and impressed by humans ability and I love that my small contribution it also uh, helps in getting people to push for longer which is amazing to to be part of
0: and so I was actually I'm gonna ask as well I know that you you are an athlete yourself Um, are you gonna run in are you planning on running in a backyard ultra yourself or
1: (laughs) I was afraid you were going to ask that question. Uh, um <laughs> No, like, okay, so I'm a triathlete. I do enjoy endurance. But I am. I think there are two main reasons that right now are stopping you from trying a backyard. One is that I am very conservative in how I approach distances. To give you an idea, uh, I've been a triathlete for 15 years and I haven't done a full Ironman. And that's because I am aware of the huge commitment involved in in training for it which links to the next one which is that i uh, i i don't have nothing but respect for people who do these races and to me it feels almost disrespectful if i just show up without properly preparing for something like this so i definitely would like to one day but i feel like i definitely need to take it extremely seriously because i feel like it's knowing how much everybody else especially people i work with uh the training they go through and how much Preparation they've been going through, uh, it just feels like I, I I should approach it the same way if I want to show up. Now, having said that, I recently interviewed. Uh, well, I sent an interview to Rob Parsons, and something that he said in terms of his recommendations is, if you're capable of running 6.7 k's, you are more than prepared for a back ultra. <laughs> so I was like, well, I suppose if I go by that philosophy, then yes, I can just go and show up for a couple of laps to start with and and yeah. get that experience myself
0: yeah awesome all right well um yeah look thanks again gabby um keep doing what you're doing because you're posting some awesome stuff on your instagram account and everything like that um and yeah look we'll definitely keep in touch and and we'll probably make it another in another 12 months come on again
1: yeah it sounds amazing i love that hopefully a new world record by then as well yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> thank all you right. paro no worries thanks gabby have a good night
1: thank you, you too see ya
0: bye If you've enjoyed this podcast, it would be awesome if you could share, comment, like, subscribe, all of that. If you've got any feedback, shoot me a message. Hope you have a great day. See ya.